Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for September 1st, 2016, the Mom and Dad Have Answers edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm the dad of Harper, who is now nine. Happy birthday, Harper. And Lyra, who's 11. Happy birthday, Harper. Uh, I'm Allison Benedict, also an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry, seven, Sam, five, and Wally, three. Hi, Dan. Hey, Allison. It is our very special call-in show this week. We have a ton of amazing and weird and tough questions from you, our beloved listeners. We're going to answer as many of them as we can. Plus, of course, triumphs and fails, recommendations, and in our plus segment, we will harshly judge Slate news writer Ben Mathis Lilly about a triumph or fail from his brand new parenting life. But first, Allison. I'll keep this one short at the request of one uh, angry listener. Please like our Facebook page, <laughs> facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. That's all. You know how that listener could make that pitch shorter? By liking our Facebook page. He, I think he said he refuses to do it because oh. we're making him so mad. Well, now he will, for sure. Right. All right. Triumphs and fails. Uh, I will start. Um, I have a triumph. Thank you. Thank you. It's incredible. My triumph is that I saved Harper's birthday party. So here's the backstory. Uh, Harper was really excited about her birthday party, which happened a couple of weeks after her actual birthday because no one is around in the middle of August. So we had it closer to the end of August. Uh, the most, the thing she was most excited about was the cake, of course. Um, and we <laughs> really, is that an of course? Oh, I mean, are, don't kids love cake? Kids love cake. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, don't know. I mean, okay, she was excited about other things about it too, but the thing she fixated on the most, I should say, was the cake. Okay. She had a lot of questions about the cake and when we were going to order the cake and what would the cake look like and could she have input on what the cake looked like. So finally, I just took her to Safeway and we ordered the cake. So by the way, any residents of the Arlington McLean area, the Safeway on Old Dominion, once the go-to place for cakes is no longer the go-to place for cakes because Harper was like, I want a chocolate cake. And they're like, we don't have chocolate. And then she was like, I want a marble cake. And they're like, no, we don't have marble. She was like, well, what about red velvet? And they were like, no, we don't have that. And these are all the cakes that were listed on the order sheet. And it turned out they only had vanilla cake and vanilla frosting. Hmm. But she decorated, she like ordered it, how, what, all the words she wanted on it. And she ordered that she wanted it covered in sprinkles. And she very particularly asked for this like purple edging all around the outside of the cake. She, that is what she wanted. And she wrote it down on the order form. So we got the cake. It looked just how she wanted it. She was very excited. We took it to the pool last night for her birthday party. Uh, and we put the cake on a bench in the shade. And then we sent all the kids off to swim. Uh, we drank beer with some friends of ours who were there. And so then during the first adult swim break, they all came back and they ate pizza. And Harper showed off the cake to everyone and told everyone how she ordered it at the Safeway by herself. And she showed everyone the purple edging around the outside. And she said, uh, when are we going to eat it? And we said, well, we'll eat it at the next adult swim in an hour. So they all go off to swim again. Harper comes back like maybe 25 minutes later to check on the cake and says, when are we going to eat the cake? And we say, 6.50, 6.50, Harper, at the next adult swim. 
So at 6.49, I put down my beer and I look over at the cake and see that it is, in fact, covered with ants. Oh, no. <laughs> they are. Oh, no. Wait, did oh. you leave? Did you leave? Like, was it open? No, it was covered in the Safeway lid. <laughs> uh, but the ants fucking found it anyway because we live in a swamp. Oh, uh, they were no. all over the lid. They had crawled inside. They were attacking the cake from all four sides and getting stuck in the purple edging that Harper had placed around the cake. And all I could think of when I saw that were the screams of horror that were about to happen <laughs> one minute from then when 10 nine-year-olds would get up to the picnic area from the pool and see this cake covered in ants. So I sweep the cake over to a picnic table and I pop the top off and the other parents run over and at that exact moment, the whistle blows for Adult Swim, and all the kids run up the stairs, and they're all yelling, cake! There are four adults there, and we each take a finger, and we slide a finger along one side of the cake, <laughs> along the purple edging, and collect like a million ants, and then <laughs> fling the ants and the frosting into the woods. And then all the kids get up there, and Harper goes, why is the purple hole smudged? And I say... Ah, uh, well, there was an ant on. There's an ant in it. And she's so excited about her cake that she does not question my logic. And now we have this amazing photo of Harper blowing out the candles while I am plucking just one final ant off the side of the cake. Oh my but I did God. it. I that, saved. I saved her birthday. That is a great story. Thank Next you. time, you, the lesson is ask the pool if you can put the cake in there. In the fridge. The fridge. Yes. Yeah. That is a great lesson. Uh, yeah. If you are listening to this podcast and you are a parent of one of Harper's friends, <laughs> I'm very sorry. <laughs> Your child did not eat more than like two ants. Unrelated <laughs> to the cake, I have a question for you. When you have a yes. pool party at that age, the kids were all around the same age, all around nine. Yeah. When did you... Stop watching your kids like hawks at the swimming pool. When they were good enough swimmers that we felt like we didn't need to. Like well, so that Okay, our, fine, but that's not I mean Right. Well, is, so our pool, like many pools, has a swim test. Yeah. So there's a swim test that you pass in front of the lifeguard where you have to swim across the pool and then tread water for a certain amount of time, and then you're officially allowed as a kid to swim in the pool by yourself. Same, so that but was, that doesn't yeah. seem I felt like when my when Harry passed that test and Sam passed a, a different test uh, at our family cottage this summer, it didn't seem to me like they were strong enough swimmers. They were strong enough swimmers to have passed the test, but not for me to like go put my feet up. Uh, I mean, I guess I just love my kids less than you do. I don't know. Okay. It seemed they seem strong enough to me. Okay. And like there are lifeguards. I mean, it's different at a cottage where there's no lifeguards. Maybe. Right. At this pool, there are lifeguards everywhere and they are watching and our kids are good swimmers. And at this age, you know, when we sent out the invitation for the pool party, we knew all those kids and we knew that they were all strong enough swimmers that we felt fine with it. And we told parents they could stay if they wanted to. But no one wanted to. Yeah. Um, so we had friends there elsewhere, but none of the parents of the kids wanted to stay at this party, which is fine. But we at this age and given that we had already seen many of these kids swim or done pool dates with many of these kids, we felt fine about it. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, I also have a triumph. Excellent. Uh, it's also sort of it's similar to yours in that it's like something bad happened. But I think I overcame it in a in an elegant way. Great. <laughs> Mine was definitely elegant. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so for a long time, as you probably know and listeners probably know, I've been very pleased with myself and smug about the fact that our kids never listened to so-called kids' music uh, and that they really liked the good music we like. Very smug. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, My kids listen to the replacements. Yeah, I know. But this summer, everything 
changed. Basically, they went to camp and they learned a ton of swear words. I think Carrie learned about sex and they were both exposed to like a lot of crappy pop music. Um, And we paid like so much money for all of this. And John hates this. He hates all the songs they brought home. He refuses to play them in the car. But I have actually enjoyed watching them become little pre-tweens and have gotten a lot of pleasure of the non-smug variety, I think, listening to them sing One Direction or 21 Pilots. Is that what 21 Pilots? Is that a popular Uh, one in your... uh, My kids are not big. Angsty, terrible songs. My kids are more like Beyonce, pure pop, less angsty sort of pop rock. Okay. And I put this stuff on my phone so we can listen to it in the car when John isn't around. But recently, Harry and Sam spent a full parent-free week with their truly wonderful older cousins at their grandmother's house. Uh, their cousins that are, I think, 13 and 11. And they were exposed to other pop music, uh, Flo Rida and Fetty Wap. And when we were reunited with them last week, I proceeded as I had been doing all summer. I loaded up the new songs that they liked to play in the car. But I... After a few times listening to my, like, three- and five-year-old sing Blow My Whistle Baby, Whistle Baby, Put Your Lips Together, I started to have (laughs) second thoughts and to feel like kind of a bad parent for letting them listen to whatever they want, Uh, Trap Queen, when a lot of it contains, like, seriously explicit content for their age, which most of it I think they don't understand, but, like, it wouldn't be good. I don't think it would be good if they were singing that at school. Can you blow my whistle, baby? Whistle, baby, let me know. Girl, I'm gonna show you how to do it, and we start real slow. You just put your lips together. So, well, it is unlike me, I think. It's unlike me to be strict about such things, and I don't want to go overboard with the censorship because I think my parenting philosophy or my goal is like raise regular kids. I have outlawed Fetty Wap in the house and won't put it on the car stereo or on my phone. I explained why. I drew the line. I'm sure the line will change and also that they'll find a way to get around it, which I'm okay with, actually. I'm fine with them finding a way to get around it. Right. That's around a part it. of being just, a regular kid. Yeah. I just think they should know that their mom is exerting some level of oversight and, like, they should know what I think is okay and not okay. And they understood and they were, like, fine with it. So I felt like the experience was a triumph. I don't know if you think I sound like Tipper Gore. I was all ready to like really get on you about it, but I think you're basically right. Like drawing a line somewhere is an appropriate thing for a parent to do. Uh, And explaining it to them and helping them to understand it is like the right way to go about it. So, yes, I view this as a triumph. In general, I view John's angle on this as as the big fail in your family. Agree. Yes. Good thing he doesn't <laughs> Say listen. no more. Let us know, listeners, what you think of our triumphs and fails, especially let me know how amazing I am for saving my daughter's birthday party uh, at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, last episode, we asked you guys to call in with your questions, and you definitely did. So let's get right to our first caller. First up, we have Christina, who sounds like a lovely person, but is extremely afraid of her nephew. 
what are the expectations of parents from their aunts and uncles? So I have, I'm 30 years old and I have an older sister who's now expecting her second child. Um, her first one is two and a half years old. I'm not around babies. I, all my friends are just starting to have kids and I, I'm terrified to babysit my nephew. Um, but I want to be of help as she's now, you know, entering her second trimester for this, uh, second boy that she's having. And I just, I don't know what to do. Um, should I babysit? Should I, I don't know, pre-cooked meals before she has the kid. I, I guess I'm not really sure what the etiquette is, and I'm a little bit terrified to be left alone with a two-and-a-half-year-old for more than 20 minutes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you can describe the role of what you expect out of your siblings, um, that would be really helpful. Thank you very much. Bye. So, uh, Christine, <laughs> there's definitely more than one way to help, and your desire to come to your sister's aid and your understanding that she might need a hand, I think, already puts you far ahead of uh, many of your child-free peers, I'm certain. However, the truth is that I can pretty much guarantee that the most helpful thing you can do and the one thing your sister wants you to offer most of all but probably won't ask for is the one thing you dread, which is to babysit your nephew. Yep. I don't think that you even need to ask your sister because if you ask her what she needs, she might shy away from asking for that help, especially if she knows you're terrified of her son. Uh, so I think you just need to step up. Now, I do think since your sister is just entering her second trimester and there's a little time uh, until she's like really immobile and miserable, you can take some baby steps. If you're only comfortable with 20 minutes, do 20 minutes like immediately and let your sister take a short walk or like make a few uninterrupted phone calls and then up it to 30 and to 40 and keep increasing it until, you know, she can go get a prenatal massage and lunch with her friends. And I think the reason I'm recommending this is not really to help you because I'm pretty confident that you could like watch your nephew for a full weekend without any serious trauma right now. But I think that if you feel you've overextended yourself uh, the first time and have a really bad time, you might not come back for a second shift. So I actually think it's better for your sister for you to take it slow, but jump in. I totally agree with this. You know, you asked about expectations, Christina, on the part of new parents. And I think most new parents don't necessarily have expectations, especially from child-free people they know who they know are a little bit uncomfortable around their kids. Um, and anything you do is really great and will be appreciated. But but Allison is right. What they wish more than anything is for you to take that two and a half year old off their hands. Um, I think starting early, starting now before there's a baby in the mix is a great idea. And starting small is a great idea. Um, I would also just add that the kinds of things you do with this kid can really help make it easier on you. Um, if they have this little boy signed up already for like music classes or you know, taught gymnastics or things like that. Those are the kinds of things that you can volunteer to take this kid to. Um, and the fun is already laid out for him and you can participate in as much as you feel comfortable and then step back a little when you feel the need to. And you're not the primary in charge of making sure this kid is occupied every second of the day. And something like that can really help you sort of build the habit of being with this boy and having fun with him. Um, taking him to like a children's museum that is suited for little kids his age um, with exhibits for small for sort of toddler sized children um, can be really great because that's like a whole universe that's his size and that he can interact with and he'll be perfectly happy to just like sit there and like hand you things for an hour and that's easy and not that intimidating until he um, throws a massive tantrum in the children's right. museum. <laughs> 
That's why you should leave after 45 minutes. Um, but in general, like there are things out there that you can do that are not just like you and the kid in your apartment where there's no toys and you don't know what to do. Like there are other <laughs> options um, and seize those other options and make the most of them. But yeah, you got to step up. You got to go for it. Screw up your courage and do stuff with this apparently terrifying two and a half year old in your life. Also, if you do find yourself in your apartment alone, stuck with a two and a half year old and you don't know what to do, really in your heart, you do know what to do. You can turn on the TV for a little bit. Yep. You just don't have to tell your sister about it. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you very much, Christina. Let's move on to our second call. This is uh, Kate, who is facing a dilemma about her two kids and the school or schools that they might go to. I am the mother of two children, one who is a rising kindergartner. Um, in our school district, they offer a full immersion language program, which is putting children into a situation where they learn all the same things they learn in normal kindergarten, only in a foreign language. Um, my youngest child is adopted and from a country where they speak Mandarin, and one of these programs is a Mandarin immersion program. It's a very popular program. We got waitlisted, and the very last minute, we got an opportunity to put our oldest child in to this program. I I'm really excited about it. I really want her to do it. I've always wanted to speak a foreign language myself, and I don't. And I think it's something that would be a huge gift to both my kids. My concern is my second child came to us at almost three years old and is not great with communication yet. She's still behind on some pre-academics. We're getting her the necessary help. She is in a private preschool program, and we're working with her. And I'm really hoping that she's going to be ready to go into the same program after her sister, but she may not be. The challenge is, is if she doesn't go into the same program as her sister, the kids could end up at two different schools. I'm just wondering, am I pushing them to do something that I want to do, or is this something I should just kind of take the leap and trust my kids can handle it? Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, Kate, I have a very simple answer to this question. You should seize this opportunity for both your kids. Now, it is not totally clear to us in listening to this question whether your younger child uh, will just automatically be granted admission to this program if your older child does it or if your concern is that not only that your younger child might not be ready for it but that they just plain might not get in and there might be – they might have to go to different schools because of that. But if you have the opportunity to put either or both of these kids in the school – I think you should definitely take it. The older one, because it's a great opportunity and a program that you really believe in and something that you really want for your kid and that is important to you. Uh, the younger one, I think that you should seize that opportunity when she's five, when she's ready for kindergarten, um, what, even if you feel like uh, I'm not 100% sure that she's at the level I want her to be. You know, I feel like, A, it's just so much better to have them at the same school. Like it's, that's a, just a much better situation for everyone in the family. If you can swing it, especially when B the school is a, the kind of program that is so great for kids at that age, your younger child is going to have a chance her entire life, or at least for like the next eight years to catch up from being slightly behind uh, in her communication skills and other sort of academic subjects in kindergarten. But she will never again have the chance to be in an immersion program at the exact age when you are most easily able to learn languages. And that's something that is crucial and amazing and something you wish you had and that you should seize for them. So I kind of disagree. I mean, I definitely think you should enroll your older daughter in this program. I think it is totally okay for your kids, though, to be on different tracks and perhaps at different schools. 
I do think it's a wonderful thing for your young, younger daughter to also learn Mandarin um, if she came from a country where they speak Mandarin. Uh, but I don't think she necessarily has to go into this program if she's not ready. I think your job as a parent is to encourage both of your kids in their varied interests and ways of learning um, and try not to compare them. So I think at this point, you know, your older daughter has this opportunity. You think it's a wonderful opportunity for her. You should enroll her and you should make sure not to focus on this program as something, you know, special necessarily. So that when your younger daughter is of age, if you decide she's not ready for for it, um, she doesn't feel lesser than. But I think, you know, if it if it turns out that she's actually not ready and you're right, um, then she does something different and she excels in another way. And if they're at separate schools, yes, that's tough logistically. It would be nice for them in the same place uh, to be in the same place. But I think what's more important is that they both have the uh, opportunities that are best for their skills and uh, stage in life. Um, but right I now, mean, but all like, you know, what are wait, their skills, but like they're five. You don't know what their skills are. Well, yet. we You're don't making know a decision to like help encourage the skills that are important to you. We, we don't know. Right. We don't have enough information from the scholar to really know. But I think if you as a parent feel like this program is a wonderful thing for my older daughter, she can get a lot out of it. And when my younger daughter is five, maybe it will be. But when, but if she turns five and it's actually you feel like this program is too much for her, this will be overwhelming, whatever. This is not right for her then that's okay. Then she does something different. I think you should still try it. Even if you're afraid of it being overwhelming. I think this is clearly important enough to you and a unsalvageable loss if you decide against it. I think it's not unsalvageable. She can learn Mandarin in other ways. But never as easily or as well as you can in an immersion program when you're that age. It's just like that, that ability evaporates so quickly after the kindergarten. Uh, that's not everything. I just I totally disagree. You should take the opportunity you have in front of you right now. And in a couple of years, figure out what's best for your youngest daughter, which is to take this program. All right, let's move on to our next question. OK, up next is a caller who is very excited about an upcoming trip to Disney and does not want it ruined. Hi, my name is Sentley and I have a son who is about one and a half and I'm planning to go to Disneyland for my birthday in October. I originally invited my best mommy friend and her husband and her kids because we're so close to the family. But lately we've been hanging out with them and they have a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And their two-year-old is a very challenging child. And every museum we've gone to or every beach day, we spend a lot of time with him having a tantrum and them just kind of like, come on, let's go are you ready yet? Like not really stern with him. So we all just kind of wait around for 20 minutes um, until he's ready to go. So I kind of don't want to go with them to Disneyland anymore because it costs a hundred dollars an adult. And I don't want to spend 20 minutes every two hours with their two-year-old screaming, I don't want to. And I just don't want to waste our time there. Um, because he's having these huge, long tantrums. So any advice, I don't want to not invite them. Is it okay to just tell them, like, if this happens, we're going to be doing our own thing? Um, please help. Thank you. All right, dude. It sounds like you do want to not invite them. Uh, Boy, but does it ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. As the parent of the difficult kids in this situation, I think that you, first of all, you cannot disinvite them. Uh, you already invited them. 
Uh, second of all, the most important thing is actually not your good time. You're going to Disneyland. It's your kid's good time. But third, I do think you can actually handle this in a fairly sensitive way, which is not to say like, hey, friend, just want you to know in advance if your kid throws a tantrum uh, while we're in line for whatever, I'm, my, I'm taking a hike with my family. We're not going to endure that. I think it's better and actually a good idea to do any time you take a trip with another family to say like, hey, let's all be comfortable doing our own thing when we want to. Like, let's have meals together or whatever. Make like certain, you know, parameters so that you are sometimes together. But I think it's like actually good and fun to split up. And I think you can do that without making them feel bad and without making them feel that it's like the fault of their kids or their family. And I actually think it's a really good idea to do it in advance because if you do it, when you guys are there and things are bad and you just kind of sneak off, I know from experience that that will make them feel horrible because, again, as a parent of sometimes difficult children, you know, I've been on vacations where my friends have clearly tried to escape uh, without saying anything. And I know what's happening and it makes me feel terrible. Yeah, you're being very nice, Allison, to this caller. So you are taking your one-year-old to Disneyland. They have a one- and a two-year-old. So the, those kids are basically... They have no opinion about what time they're having at Disneyland. It's So really, you're going there for you. It's your birthday, and you are the one uh, who chose Disneyland, and you are clearly like a Disneyland fanatic. But, however, you have got to be a better friend to your quote-unquote best mommy friend who has a difficult two-year-old and who is trying her best. Uh, and all you want to do is you just want to get on the Matterhorn without listening to their kid cry. Like... Uh, I that's not cool. You got to like help them out a little bit more and be like a little more forgiving. Soon enough, your one year old will be a difficult two year old. Just uh, you wait. Yes, and you'll be in the same position. I think Allison's advice is really good. Uh, as someone who never had bad children, I can't really empathize <laughs> with her. But I do think it's good advice to make the point early that you should do some things together and some things separately. So it's not like a game time decision where you're clearly ditching them. But I also think. You have to spend more time with them at Disneyland than you probably want to because you invited them to go to Disneyland with you, for God's sake. So my official ruling on this matter is that you get to do two rides on your own without waiting in line with them. So you have to choose carefully. It's like it's like a fast pass, but it's a non-crying kit pass. You get to choose two. Choose your two. Make that decision early, do those, and spend the rest of the time with his family and your friend who you love and their kid who you love, even though he cries sometimes. All right, let's move on to our next call. Uh, this is Megan from Covington, Georgia, uh, whose front lawn is covered in uh, granola bar wrappers. I have two kids, a six-year-old and a two-year-old. We have a house on a corner lot, and our yard is the bus stop for all the kids in the neighborhood. And I am constantly picking up trash that is left from the kids as they eat their breakfast, as they wait for the bus. And I'm just trying to figure out what I need to do to stop this. Um, I know my immediate neighbors, but I do not know all of the kids who wait for the bus stop. I don't know all of their parents, so I can't go directly to the parents. Um, so do I put a sign in my yard that says, my yard is not a trash can? Do I put a trash can in my yard to encourage the kids to put trash in the trash can? 
or do I try to go out talk to the kids as they're waiting for the bus and tell them to stop throwing trash in my yard? Just thought you guys might be able to help me with that. Thanks so much. Bye. I agree that this is a very difficult social situation to navigate. Um, I love this question. I really love this question. Uh, it's not so. It reminds me of how bad my kids often are waiting for the bus, and how one time all the neighborhood kids who wait for the bus knocked over all the bricks that the bus stop family had in a neat circle surrounding one of their decorative trees. And then we had to make all the kids put all the bricks back and they were all, they like the bus had to wait for them. Um, Okay. So there are two possible solutions that I see right off the bat. One is it's not totally clear how old these kids are. If they're eating breakfast and they're there maybe without their parents, then maybe this is like a middle school or high school bus stop. And so maybe your six-year-old doesn't use this bus stop, in which case I think you are well within your rights to go out there, tell those kids it would be really great if you did not leave your trash in my yard and put a small trash can out there for them to put their trash in. Probably they will mock you uh, and maybe egg your house, but it's worth a try. However, if these are like younger kids or if your six-year-old is at this bus stop, this seems like the simplest solution is give your six-year-old a job. Send him or her out there with their, you know, while they're waiting for the bus with like a little plastic shopping bag and she can just go to the kids and say, hey, put your trash in here and they can put their trash in there. Your your child can throw it away on the bus. Problem solved. And you've given your child like a little job to do that I bet they will enjoy. It will be a gentle reminder to these children, these uh, reprobates on your lawn that they should not just throw their shit on your lawn. They should put it in a bag. No, do not make your child a social outcast by making her like. They're six. Gar- no six year old will be a social outcast. It would be. They would be a social outcast if they littering were littering. Like is cool, Dan. Ugh. All right, listen. Littering. So is not says cool. the woman who lets her kids listen to Fetty Wap. I love this question. I feel. I just feel really bad all the time for the bus stop uh, house in our neighborhood. <laughs> Uh, and I often wonder, this is new to me because we, like, in the city, we didn't, you know, deal with this. But I, like, A, I don't think they have kids. Uh, I don't know them. But in our, our neighborhood, I don't think they have kids. So it's like, oh, man, like a raw deal. Just chosen uh, at random. That's but also, do they know? Do you know that your house is the bus stop when you buy your house? Probably not. No one. I bet people don't tell you that. Oh, absolutely not. And then you just, like, one day all these kids are in the front. Yeah, it's right. just It's like nightmare. the crack in the foundation you just nightmare. forget to mention. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I really sympathize with you, Megan. Sam picking up his brother last year um, actually peed on a bush at the bus stop house. <laughs> uh, so I'm really, I'm just, I'm going to apologize to you since I don't know the family whose house it is. <laughs> Megan, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I think you should definitely put a trash can out with like a sign on it. I think if it's older kids, you're, that's just going to be really, really rough. If it is younger kids, though, I would try, if you're willing to put this effort into it, I would try, like, at the beginning of the school year to come out in the morning, maybe even, like, with, like, a a snack slash peace offering. Not that you have any reason to do anything especially nice for these people, but um, it would be, like, a nice way to start the year. And then, and like, say, hey, guys, this is my lawn, and... You know, it would be great if you could throw your stuff into this trash can because what happens is I end up with trash in my yard every day. And I think like extent like being super nice to the kids and the families uh, might help. Um, But I do think, yeah, get a big, huge trash can because otherwise they're not going to go to the trouble of taking their backpacks off. 
and putting right. the trash in their backpacks. They're just not. I mean, that's gross and bad that they won't. But uh, you got to. I think you do have to provide them with a place to put it, or else it's going to end up on your yard. I think coming out with a peace offering is a very good idea, and is in fact extendable even to older kids. Like if there are a bunch of high schools there, you should just bring them a beer on the first day of school. <laughs> And be like, when you're done with this beer, put it in the recycling please bin. put it in the recycling bin that I placed <laughs> in my front yard. And then you'd be the cool bus stop lady. You could also go, you know, you could pass out flyers. I don't know if you know where everybody's coming from, but you could like, you could actually like go door to door and just pass out a little note saying like, please put your trash in the That's trash can. That's too much. That's okay. too much. All right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Also, right. anything you pass out will eventually end up crumpled up on your lawn. Right. I think you should just make them cookies without any kind of actual... Yeah. Yeah. Packaging. Good luck. Also, if you are Allison's kids' uh, bus stop, you should maybe install a toilet uh, <sighs> somewhere in your yard, like behind the privacy of bushes, so it's that everyone natural. can go when they need to. <laughs> okay. Uh, now we have a call from another Megan who has a question about Disney movies. I have a question about movies, uh, particularly Disney movies, and my four-year-old daughter. So. Until now, we've somehow managed to avoid movies. She watches TV, um, but not any movies so far. And now she's really interested in Frozen because everyone loves it. Um, I'm concerned about the ways in which women are shown in Disney movies particularly and also the emphasis on like romantic love all the time in those movies. Um, but on the other hand, I remember loving the songs and singing along and the music. And I don't want to take this away from her. Um, just by being like overprotective, but maybe she's still too young. She's only four. I'm not sure. And so I guess maybe it's mostly a question for you, Dan, about um, how you dealt with this popular media kind of vision of women with your daughters. I really always love your down to earth, both of you, um, laid back kind of parenting styles, but very thoughtful at the same time. So I'm really curious to see what you would say about this. Thanks very much. Megan, I got to tell you, Disney movies are a lot different than they used to be. So if like your memory of the ones you enjoyed when you were a kid are, you know, the 80s or 90s ones, Beauty and the Beast or Little Mermaid or whatever, that were like beautiful movies with totally retrograde gender messages, Disney movies are not really like that anymore. No kids movies are really like that anymore. In fact, like no kids entertainment of any kind is like that anymore. Even the ones with princesses in them are really not like that at all. Like, like, so I think that you are more worried than you need to be. So like to take an example frozen, which you asked about, uh, it, it does have a small romance in it, but really actually it's overall message is that your first boyfriend will turn out to be evil and you should just trust your sister because your sister has your best interest at heart. Um, brave has no romantic plot at all. Um, and the princess and the frog Entangled, which are two other recent princess movies, uh, from Disney, they both have love stories, but in each of them, the woman is a totally equal or even superior partner in the relationship. There's really nothing I find objectionable about those portrayals. And in fact, there's a lot I find empowering and wonderful about those female characters. Um, so I think Megan, you need to take your fear of Disney movies and let it go, let it go, etc. Uh, yeah, I agree. And just to chime in and say that if there are objectionable movies and TV shows, that's also, for these reasons, it's also an issue for boys because boys see, you know, portrayals yeah. of girls too, and it definitely sinks in. So it's something, you know, we try to work on in our house when, when we face it. The Olympics really helped. Uh, but I agree with Dan that, you know, 
uh, a lot of these movies, a lot of movies these days are pretty good on this front. And I would let your daughter watch them without. Yeah, maybe fear. worse. Maybe worse for boys and like the boy characters seem less interesting. Like movies focused on boys often uh, feel like they're not really addressing these issues at all, and they are often pure adventure stories uh, that are, don't really feel like they're giving you much of a role model if that's what you're looking for out of this entertainment. Whereas stories featuring girls are very conscious of that and often do a really good job of it. Anyways. But- the point. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just I can't remember. Was the protagonist of Zootopia a girl bunny? She's a girl. Yes, yeah, she's a girl bunny who wants yeah. to be a cop. Yeah. Uh, she's a great character. Yeah. Um. It, so, like Megan, I think you should go for it. We are living in a golden age of children's movies and children's entertainment. You should seize the opportunity. It's like really fun to sit with your kid and watch a bunch of really great movies. All right, let's move on to our next call from Martine who has twins and wants to force uh, the parents of all her kids' friends to make a Solomonic decision. I have a birthday etiquette question. I have twins who will be turning six in October. We are planning a joint party for them at a local bounty-type place. They go to the same school but are in different classes. All of the classes in the same grade share playground time, so all the kids know each other to varying degrees. But obviously there are some kids that are more friendly with my son than my daughter and vice versa. I would like to find a way to request that each guest only bring a gift for the twin that is their friend. Um, I feel guilty asking a parent to buy two gifts to come to our party if their kid is only friends with one of the kids, um, one of my kids. And to be honest, I'd like to cut down on the number of crappy gifts that will wind up in my house. Uh, My kids will certainly not miss a few gifts and will have slightly less junk to step over a month after the party. Uh, My question is whether it is okay um, to make this type of gift suggestion. I feel strange bringing up the gift issue at all, since that's generally a no-no in in an invitation, but I don't know of any other way to approach this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on my twin dilemma. Thanks so much. I don't think it's a no-no to bring up gifts in an invitation. I mean, when we were little, I don't know, not that that I (laughs) know-no. Boom! Nobody else, no one laughed. Wow. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that was very they're laughing at home right now. You just can't uh, yeah. I mean, when I when our kids were little, we and lots of other people put like no gifts on the invitation, and I think that was fine. Um, I also think you should. I don't think you need to feel guilty uh, about people bringing two gifts. Uh, you have two separate kids, and if they weren't coming to your birthday party, they'd be going to, you know, two two other birthday parties. So it's okay just because it's one birthday party. Uh, however, I also think it's fine uh, if you think your kids, you know, don't need all of these presents. I think it's okay to stage manage it a little, which I w- what I wouldn't do is leave it up to the guests. I think that's kind of weird to say to them, like, please bring a gift for the for the for my kid you like the most or my kid you're the closest with. That's a little weird. I would actually just like you decide, you know, who's in their class or who they hang out with. And this is a little bit of a pain for you. But personalize the invitations and just say, hey, please bring a gift for Ella. Hey. Please bring a gift for Ella B. I don't know what your kids' names are. Ella and Ella B. That's definitely yeah. the case. Yeah. Uh, why not just tell them not to bring any gifts? Or why not? That's not what she asked, Dan. Uh, but that's a Don't bring answer. your progressive. Whatever. We blew it and I forgot to put that on Harper's invitation. So now she got a bunch of gifts. And, they're, uh, and if you're a parent of one of Harper's friends at the birthday party, I'm sorry about how the present you gave Harper is going to be for sale in our yard sale on Monday. Um, 
Fine. Setting aside, let's say you believe in no gifts. Okay, great. But Martine did not ask that question. She asked if she can say one gift for, you know, bring a gift for one kid or the other. Here's a real alternate proposal. You could also suggest that they bring one gift that both kids can share. That And so the so it's less about making them make a choice, with it, which I agree with you, Allison, you should not do. And then also less about sort of feeling like you're stage managing. You bring a gift for this kid. You bring a gift for this kid. But if you put on all the invitations, please just bring one gift that the twins can share. A, you have less crap around your house. And B, side benefit, I do bet that you get like less – like superhero and princess crap. If people are striving to buy like non-gendered presents, if people are working, like trying to find something that they think both kids might like. But just because you're a twin, should you have to share everything with your twin? You wouldn't have to do that with like your non-twin siblings. That seems like asking a lot of your six-year-old kids. But isn't that, but that's what kids who live in a house have to do all the time anyway. They have to share. Yeah, so should they have to do it? I know, but should they have to do it in this instance? I don't think so. Uh, I I don't know. I'm very sympathetic to the desire to cut down on the number of presents and very sympathetic to make to really feeling bad for telling people that to come to this birthday party, you have to buy two goddamn presents and bring them. Okay, away. fine. So then a great solution is to have some people bring gifts for one kid and some people bring gifts for the other kid. That's cutting down. That's making each person only bring one gift. I don't think it should be shared. I think it should be shared. Hmm. Martine, call us back and tell us what you decide to do. <laughs> uh, but only if you choose my decision. Okay, our final question is from B, who is asking us to dig deep and be honest. Are you ready, Dan? Yikes. Okay. And I have a question for you. It will require you to dig deep into yourself and be brutally honest about your life as parents. My husband is in his 50s. I'm in my 30s. We've been together for five years and are currently without children. I'd always taken it as a given that I'd be a parent one day, but over the last few years have really come to appreciate the flexibility we have to travel, spend money on ourselves, and be spontaneous with our plans. And so I'm truly torn about whether we should have kids. My husband plans to retire in a couple of years, and I know he'd probably prefer a quiet retirement on a boat somewhere in the mid, but he's still open to the idea of children for my sake. He has um, two grown kids from a previous marriage, I should have added. I don't want to be in my 50s one day and regret not having a family. I also fear regretting losing my freedom now if we do have kids. So, Alison Dan, please can you tell me honestly if you feel like you missed out on a peaceful and carefree life when you became parents? And could you perhaps check around to see if anyone you know in their 50s or 60s is perfectly content with the decision they made not to have kids? It will be massively appreciated. Thank you, and I love the show. Bye. Uh, this is a really interesting question. And B, I, I'm struck by how truly torn you seem. It is a very hard decision. The decision is even more complicated in your case because of your husband's age, because of the fact that he's already had kids and gone through this process. Uh, and I appreciate the thoughtfulness with which you are going through this. So let's let's answer, Allison, her question one first. Question one was, uh, did we miss out on a peaceful and carefree life because we had kids? How do you answer that question? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that is that is a thing that you lose when you have kids. Um, I'm happy about the trade-off, but that doesn't mean that I don't miss the peaceful, carefree life. Uh, so question two, do you know child-free people uh, who are older, 40s, 50s, or 60s, who feel perfectly content 
with their decision. Um, I will answer this one first. I know many child-free people uh, who've gone through their whole life choosing or not choosing to not have any children, um, who didn't have children on purpose or because it just worked out that way, who are very, very happy with their lives. I don't know anyone who's 100% perfectly content with any of their decisions at age 60, but I do know plenty of people who are delighted by the life that they have chosen without kids or the life that they ended up with without kids who live it to their fullest and who sometimes maybe think sadly of the kids that they might've had, but that doesn't mean that you don't love the life that you have and are really, really happy about it. Um, what about you, Allison? Yeah. I mean, I know, I also know some people in that age range, maybe a little bit um, younger uh, who um, decided not to have kids or at least I think decided not to have kids. Maybe like you say, it wasn't a choice. Although these couples that I'm thinking of, I think that it was. Uh, and yeah, I think that they are happy with their lives. I actually emailed one of the husbands in one couple that I know to, to ask him to email me uh, his thoughts so that I could incorporate them into my answer here. And he did not respond either, maybe because it's complicated and private or because he doesn't usually answer my emails. <laughs> um, or because he's like jetting off on some great vacation that he yeah. can afford because he doesn't have kids. Right. There are many reasons. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I mean, I think... I it, we cannot answer this question. For, I mean, we can answer these two these two questions for you. We can't answer the the larger question of what you should do. Sure, uh, we nor, can. nor do you want us to. But sure, she does. Yes, I think it's quite possible to be happy and lead a full life uh, without having kids. I also think that you know, obviously, I we both made the decision not to do that. We made the decision to give certain things up, um, the peaceful and quiet life um, to, or it doesn't have to be quiet, I guess. The peaceful and carefree life is, the is I think, how Martine put it, um, to have something else. And I think that I would, in my 50s and 60s, probably regret not having kids, but maybe I'm, you know, maybe I wouldn't know what I was missing or maybe I'm fooling myself based on the choices I've made. But if I'm being totally honest... I feel like even the people that I know who have wonderful and full lives are missing out on something. And I know you're probably, you know, people are hate hearing that. And we have lots of listeners um, who don't have kids and have wonderful lives and uh, have hear this all the time uh, and don't want to hear it again from me. But uh, you asked for honesty. So that's my honest answer. I don't know. I feel like everyone is missing out on something like you by having kids are missing out on a million amazing trips you could have taken or experiences you could have had or risks you could have leapt at that you don't have the chance to do. And so everyone, I mean, as I sort of hinted at before, everyone in their 60s or just everyone who has gone through a lot of life has some sense that there are paths behind them that would have been different. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the paths that they didn't take would have been better. They just would have been different. The experiences you get when being a parent are amazing, but that doesn't mean that they are that they are the kinds of experiences that make your life by definition more complete than the experiences you have if you don't have kids. I just I agree with you, but don't you don't I mean I get I agree with that and of course I have regrets already and I will continue to have more as I get older, but or think I've you know made made some poor decisions or wish things had been different. Uh, but I actually think that although there are some, I'm sure there are some people who regret having kids. I do think that it must be a more common thing to grow old and regret not having them than to regret having them. Like I don't think that a lot of people look at their 
grown children and think, man, I wish I didn't have you. No, because there's actual physical human beings you're referring to. Yeah, but to wish them out of existence. But you could actually think back and wish that you had them. Sure. So we have actually discussed this uh, in one of our first episodes, which was about uh, parenting ambivalence. Um, and was actually one of the first episodes we did that just got a very, very strong reaction from listeners, um, both child-free listeners and listeners with children. Um, we're going to post the link to that episode on our Facebook page for people who want to go back to it. Allison and I also disagreed on that episode. On and we had a guest, the, Megan Daum, who had just written about this in a, in yeah. a really compelling piece. Yeah, and who ended up um, editing an anthology of writing by child-free writers about that decision, uh, which is really interesting, which I recommend. We'll put up a link to that, too, on the Facebook page. Um, and we, Alice and I disagreed in that conversation, too. Like, we definitely come down on, on I would say, slightly different sides on this, though. I, I think that Allison really does, like, truly respect people who make this decision. She def- It seems like you definitely feel, as you said, like there would be a hole in your life if you had ended up not having kids. And it would Yeah, be that's that exactly what I do. I don't feel like anyone is, a, like, a lesser person for choosing not to have kids. I don't think that's, like, a some sort of sentence to unhappiness or a, you know, less full and rich life. Um, but I do feel like, you know, I, I wish it didn't have to be some, like, it's hard to talk about without it sounding like some kind of culture war. And that's not how I want to frame it at all. But yeah, I feel like personally, my life would not be as um, beautiful as it is. And it's and, often horrendous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like when your kid pees on the bus stop lawn. And my take on that remains exactly the same as it was several years ago when we had this conversation, which is if you have doubts about whether you should have a kid, don't have the kid. The world has enough kids. Um, but B, uh, you sound like you really Everybody love has doubts about whether they should have kids. If everybody well, then, who had doubts didn't have kids, no one would have kids. Nope, that's not true. People <laughs> still have lots of kids. It really happens just literally all the time. Yeah, because they overcome their doubts. No, sometimes it's just because they don't use birth control. Uh, Okay, so B, it sounds like you are being very thoughtful about this. It is a very hard decision. I agree with you. Um, I think that the situation that you are in, though tough from a decision-making standpoint, has set you up to probably be very happy whichever thing you choose. So in the end, remember that. If you choose to have kids... You and your husband will love them. Uh, you will make for you will make a great mom. You'll have the greatest time. Uh, and your husband, though a little creaky when he picks them up at age <laughs> one thousand or whatever, he will also have a great time. If you choose not to have kids, you will have so much money to spend. You'll be able to do so many amazing things. Um, and and you'll and you also have a great Ark. life that way. And you can babysit ours, or you can babysit the grandchildren that your husband may soon have if he has grown kids. Like those are kids that might be in your life sometime soon. But I do think listening to your call that you have set yourself up not between choosing two things and worrying about the thing that you're missing, but in the end, choosing between two things and ending up with a life that will make you really happy. So, uh, so try and rest easy on that front at least. All right. Thank you, listeners, for all your amazing calls. Um, We're sorry if we didn't get to yours. We do, of course, do calls every episode. uh, And so we may get to some of those later. Or if you heard this and you're like, God, I wish they were answering my call. I have a question. You can call us uh, at 424-255-7833. That number is 424-255-RUDE. Call us and ask us a question, and we will try and answer it on a future episode. And thank you again to everyone who called us and left us a message. 
And listeners, please go to our Facebook page or email us and tell us, you know, if you thought our answers were really off base. We want to hear. Or if you thought we're just as right as we always are. Tell us that, too. All right, let's move on to recommendations. Allison, what do you got? Okay, I want to recommend book clubs for kids. I don't mean the subscription services, though we do subscribe to one of those uh, called PJ Library. Have you heard of this? It's a it sends. I have not. I mean, you wouldn't, but it sends age appropriate Jewish themed books once a month, and it's great. <laughs> um, I mean, your kids could stand to learn a little bit about Judaism, but That's true. I'm not surprised you don't subscribe. But I just mean regular old book club, like grownups have, um, but for kids. So a friend of Sam's mom decided to start one for her son and four of his buddies, including Sam, to keep them excited about books over the summer. They're all entering kindergarten this year, and none of them can actually read at all or much, as far as I know. But they get together on a weeknight, and they read, the you know, the parent reads a book, and they discuss it for I don't know how long before everything kind of unravels, and they start playing with swords and eating pizza. But we've only done it twice. We haven't hosted it yet, so I actually haven't seen it in action. Uh, but I know Sam's had a lot of fun, and the parents seem, like, pretty excited about um, when I pick up, like, about the question and answer and conversation part of things. Um, and I just love the idea. So it's uh, it's fun. It's a, Do it at night, I'd say, during the week. So it's like something a little special. Your kids get to stay out late uh, and be with their friends. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. Harper is in a book club with a bunch of girls from uh, her old school and her new school. And they get together every two months. And a kid chooses, one of the girls chooses a book. And then everyone reads it. We go to her house and discuss it. And it is like the most charming thing you've ever seen these little girls asking each other questions about the book in a slightly overly formal but still very heartfelt way that's great (laughs) uh okay i have a recommendation for a children's movie not disney but one of the many many amazing competitors on the kids movie landscape right now the movie is called kubo in the two strings uh it is a stop motion animated movie from Leica, which is the uh, company behind Coraline and Paranorman. Uh, it's a great movie for kids maybe eight and up. It is an adventure, a sort of boy-style adventure um, with lots of sword fighting and um, quips and witticisms. But it is uh, very shaped. The story comes from or is shaped by Japanese folklore, and the aesthetic of the movie is uh, is Japanese. It seems to be set in some in basically medieval or feudal Japan. Um, it's really exciting. It is very sincere and is not like does not feel very Shrek-y, uh, To use a word that I use when describing it on the Culture Gab Fest, it's not you know it doesn't have characters looking at the camera and making jokes about like Donald Trump. Uh, it's 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 a, like a real valiant attempt to make like a real medieval Japanese folklore story uh, and it's really really beautiful it's like one of the most beautiful children's movies i've ever seen you should see it in 3d uh usually 3d sucks but this in this case 3d is great and you should throw some money at this movie because uh it's not doing great at the box office and it needs all the help it can get so it's kubo and the two strings uh go take your kids to it and you will probably really like it too my kids saw this uh when they were away uh with their cousins in between the flow red and Right. Betty Wop, uh, and they really liked it. They they said they loved it, uh, but it wasn't really about anything. Or they couldn't like really tell me what it was mm-hmm. about, um, but they did love it. Uh, yeah, that seems like about the right response from kids your age. Like it's about uh, like actually pretty serious and, and adult questions of identity and uh, and the past and memory. So I'm not surprised that they felt that way. But luckily, it has lots of yeah. great sword fighting and stuff to keep them occupied. Uh, all right, so that is our show. Uh, please, once again, 
uh, like our Facebook page. It's at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. And also give us a call and ask us some more questions. 424-255-RUDE. Mom and Dad are Fighting is part of the Panoply Network. You can see all our shows at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thank you to Panoply Grand Poobah Andy Bowers and to Slate Podcast Executive Producer Steve Lichtai. Thanks to our guest, Ben Mathis Lilly, our Slate Plus guest. And thanks to everyone, all every single one of you who called in with a question. We're really, really grateful that you did. Thank you to our producer, Afim Shapiro. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening. 